invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to John chapter 14. John 14. We will conclude John 14 today on the tail end of this chapter. I want to start by just pointing out to you um, that the Holy Spirit is a much better planner than I am. The Holy Spirit is much wiser than I am as we have just been walking through the Gospel of John for the last 14 months. Um, we've come in our passage-by-passage passage journey uh, to these verses at the end of John chapter 14. And as I learned, of course, and saw events unfold in our community on Monday and in the, the ensuing days, I've been thinking, praying, being mindful, Lord, what, what word do you want your people to hear today? And, of course, I could have, you know, scrapped the plans and made a message that specifically focused on, you know, suffering in the world or how to respond to tragedy or what, you know, something along those lines. And when I turned in the Gospel of John to find the verses that were scheduled for today, I was struck again by the wisdom and care of God in that as we have simply been walking through the Gospel of John, the verses that we come to today begin with these words, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And I thought to myself, this is the word that the Lord would have his people to hear today. And he planned this. He didn't need my creativity to come up with what I might say that would be relevant to your life or situation. And so once again, I was convinced, reminded of the wisdom of simply preaching through the Bible and letting God decide when we hear what message, if you will. And so, I believe that the fact that we come to these verses today is an expression of God's love for you and His care for what may be going on in your hearts in response to and relation to the turmoil in our community this week. And so, I was encouraged by that and I wanted to make sure that you knew that that's what, where we are going into this message and that this is a, an expression of God's care for you, that this is the, the text that we get to spend some time in this morning. Now, one other thing I want to point out to you before we actually get into the text of verses 27 through 31, the end of the chapter. Again, an expression of the care and the patience of Jesus, that He knows us, that He cares about what's on our hearts. The entire content of chapter 14, filled with beautiful, powerful descriptions of Christian faith, the intimacy of Jesus and the Father, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the Christian's future glory at home with God. There's so much rich not just theology, but truth and beauty and, uh, and, and, and faith in these verses. 
And the whole thing is framed around specific questions from his disciples. And the time and attention and care that Jesus took in responding to each of the disciples' questions. He's told them that he's about to leave, and so they're worried. They're troubled. What are we going to do without Jesus when he leaves? And so they've begun kind of peppering him with questions in their anxiety. And Jesus patiently, lovingly, carefully, powerfully answers each one of their questions. Walk with me, if you will, through the end of chapter 13 to where we come now. In chapter 13, verse 36, Peter had a question. Lord, where are you going? And then essentially, why can't we follow you? After he said, I'm about to leave. Peter says, where? Where are you going? Why can't we come with you? Let's come with you now. And of course, Jesus' answer to him was, you can't go where I'm going right now, but you will later. Again, I think speaking of his home in heaven. He's going to return to his father in heaven. And one day, Peter and, his fo- and Jesus' followers would indeed join him there. And so he begins to speak about the home that he's preparing for them. I go to prepare a place for you in my father's house or many rooms. All of that is in response to Peter's question, why can't we go with you? Then in chapter 14, verse 5, Thomas has a question of his own. Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And it is in response to Thomas's question that Jesus offers his famous response, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You get there, you get to God by knowing me. And then Philip asks in verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Kind of an effect going, just make this really obvious. Don't make us trust and believe and wait. Just show us. Just give us one glimpse of the Father in His fullness and we'll we'll be satisfied. And Jesus responds by expressing again the oneness of Jesus and the Father. I and the Father are one. If you believe in me, you will carry on the work of God and even greater things through prayer and gospel ministry. All of that, whatever you ask in my name, that the Son may be glorified, that I will do. And whoever follows me and believes in me will do greater works than I do. All of that came in response to Philip's question. Show us the Father, his request. Show us the Father. And then in verse 22, Judas says, not Iscariot. Because that Judas already left, right? He already got uh, identified as the one who had betrayed Jesus. And then he left to go and put that into motion. And so verse 22 says, Judas, not Iscariot, another guy named Judas, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? So how are you going to reveal yourself to us, but not in a way that everybody else can see? Right? Because they're expecting if it's visible and you're there, like aren't others going to see you too? And in response to that, Jesus essentially says, the way that I reveal myself to you is by your faith. In me. If you believe in me, I and the Father will come and dwell in you through the Holy Spirit. That's what Eric from the Garden Church in Baltimore uh, shared with you last week about this promise of the coming Holy Spirit who would come and indwell the follower of Jesus. 
And so all of that truth and this intimate relationship that the follower of Jesus would have with God because of the indwelling Holy Spirit is something that the world doesn't have. So how are you going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? By this unique, intimate relationship that the follower of Jesus will have with God that the world doesn't have because they don't believe. So all of the content of chapter 14 has just been following the questions of the disciples. So I think that should encourage us. Jesus is okay with your questions. And even in the light of things that happened this week and things like it that we see all the time, he's not frustrated by your curiosity or your uncertainty. Lord, what's going on? Lord, how do we respond to this? Lord, where are you in the midst of these trials? He's okay with you bringing your heart to him with your uncertainties and fears. And he has given you true, rich, faithful answers in his word. We have a treasury here that the first generation disciples didn't have. That is God's written word to us. And so when we come to him with our questions and we go to the scriptures to search and find his heart, he responds. He guides and instructs. So again, the patience and care of Jesus is remarkable. Well, we need to go through these verses quickly because of time today. Let me read them for you. Verses 27 through 31, and then a few observations about, about what we see here. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you. For the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. In a world so filled with violence, hatred, war, bitter argument, destruction, and death, the announcement of peace sounds so sweet to the soul. Peace is the theme and purpose of Jesus' ministry from the beginning. Hundreds of years before Jesus came into the world, in Isaiah 52.7, the prophet announces, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. The announcement of the Messiah to come is couched in terms of the publishing, the proclamation of Peace. Peace. 
on the night of Jesus' birth, the angels announced in Luke 2.14 that His coming signaled peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Very famous words. Again, the Messiah comes and the announcement is peace. Peace is coming. And in Ephesians 2.14, Paul says of Jesus Christ that, quote, He Himself is our peace, who has made us, that is Jew and Gentile, both one, and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Peace. Peace. Jesus comes and He announces peace. I love that he says, I leave you my peace. This is, in a sense, is the last will and testament of Jesus as he's about to leave his disciples. What am I leaving you with? I'm leaving you with peace. I'm leaving you with the awareness that you are at peace with God and that you are to be messengers of that peace. And then he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. So Jesus' peace is different than the world. And implicitly, it is better than the world's peace. I love what Matthew Henry says about this, the Puritan commentator. He says, The peace that Jesus gives is of such a nature that the smiles of the world cannot give it, nor the frowns of the world take it away. As is the difference between a killing lethargy, that is like just a laziness and a complacency, and a reviving, refreshing sleep, such is the difference between Christ's peace and the world's. His peace is deeper. His peace is more lasting. His peace is truer because it's based in Himself and the work that He would accomplish for sinners at the cross, which is just around the corner from where we are in the text. Now he obviously recognizes that his disciples are worried. And so his his exhortation here, his comfort is, "Don't, don't be troubled and don't be afraid. Don't be troubled by what's happened. Don't be afraid of what's coming. Why would they be afraid? Well, of course, Jesus is leaving. He said some pretty frightening things. One of them is going to betray me. Peter, their leader, is going to deny that he even knows Jesus. Then Jesus is going to die, and then he's going to go away, and they won't be able to follow him. They don't know what's going to happen. The last three years of their life have been day in, day out, devoted to following Jesus. And now he's gone. Where is he going? What are we going to do when we have to face the difficulties of the world without Jesus? That's probably how they feel. And I think the same is true for us. Life is hard sometimes. Sometimes we feel alone. Sometimes we wonder, there's so much brokenness. There's so much mess. Relationships are so hard. My life is so hard. Where is Jesus in the midst of it? Why do I feel alone? What am I going to do in the midst of this trial without him? But are we really alone? Hasn't Jesus promised us 
His presence. Even in the Great Commission, the last words that He gives really to His disciples in Matthew chapter 28, He says, Go into all the world and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So he's not just talking to the first generation of disciples. I'm with you always until the end of the day when I ascend to heaven. Till the end of this age, when Jesus returns and ushers in his kingdom, I am with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. He's with us. Sometimes it's hard to see him. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves and trust by faith that he's there and he's working. But we're not alone. Then he reminds them in verse 28 and 29 of some things he's already said. He says, you heard me say, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced that I'm going to my Father. I don't think he means that as a chastisement. Like, you don't really care about me. If you loved me, you would rejoice. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he means if you really understood what's going on here. If you really understood that me going to the Father is good for you, you would be celebrating. Jesus is going to the Father and I get the Holy Spirit to live in me. That's what he just told them in the verses before this, right? That he would send the helper and that he would remind them of all of his words and he would guide them into all truth. That's the Holy Spirit. And he said, he is with you and he will be in you. That's new. That is a fundamentally new relationship with the Holy Spirit from any that any follower of God had had up until this time. And today the follower of Jesus has the Holy Spirit indwelling him. And in that, Jesus says, I and the Father will come and make our home with you through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If you really got that, you'd be celebrating, you'd be rejoicing, for the Father is even greater than I. I think we've got to be careful there not to hear something like, Jesus is less of God than the Father, or that the Father has greater power or knowledge or holiness than the Son, or something like that. Jesus Christ is true God and true man, one with the Father and a perfect representation of the Father, all the while distinct from him and a unique person. This is the, the picture of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we find unfolded in, in the Bible. So Jesus saying the Father is greater than I, doesn't mean that he's more God than I am or that he's more powerful than I am. Nevertheless, Jesus has willingly submitted himself to the leadership and authority of the Father. And he speaks regularly in John's Gospel of, of only speaking and doing that which the Father has taught him and commanded him to do. And I think this should be an example to us of how to live under authority. If the Son of God through whom the world was created, can voluntarily, humbly submit himself to the leadership and authority of the Father, then surely we can submit to him and the authorities that he places in our lives as well. So he says, don't be troubled. You heard me say, I'm going away. The Holy Spirit's coming. Well, why shouldn't they be afraid? Well, because... The fact that I'm leaving means you get the Holy Spirit. 
And when he says, I'm going away and I will come to you, he must be referring there to the Holy Spirit coming and not to that future return when he brings his people to come home with him that he spoke of at the beginning of 14. I will go away and I will come to you, I think means I will come to you in the Holy Spirit indwelling you. So it's actually better for his disciples, which probably would have been, made no sense to them. And at this point in time, they had, they had no concept of what it would mean to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So when he says to them, even a little bit later in John, in John chapter 16, 7, it is to your advantage that I go away so that I can send the helper to you. The truth is, when the Spirit comes, when the Spirit indwells his people, he is with them in a new way, and He is with them everywhere around the world. Wherever Christians gather, the Holy Spirit is there. He is present. He is working. He is speaking. He is redeeming. He is convicting of sin. He is proclaiming Christ. That is what He does, leads us into truth. And He says, I'm telling you now so that when this happens, you'll believe. That's another theme of this conversation between Jesus and his disciples. I'm telling you this now so that when it takes place, you'll go, oh, that's what he was talking about. And that's exactly what they do. You see it later on in the gospel. And then the final section here, verses 30 through 31. He says, I will no longer talk much with you, which surprises us because we still have three more chapters of Jesus' words to go, but whatever. In Jesus' economy, that's not much. All right? So he says, I will not talk much with you. Why? Because the ruler of this world is coming. Who's the ruler of this world? Satan. The ruler of this world, Satan. The devil is coming. And I think he means that the events that are unfolding that will lead to his wrongful, sinful execution on the cross are in motion. So we've already seen Judas had the devil enter him and influence him and lead him to betray Jesus. And so now this is all about to happen. So when he says the ruler of this world is coming, I think he means things are about to get real bad. You're going to be there and you're going to see this is going to be ugly. It's going to look like Satan is winning. It's going to look like the devil is getting his way. That's what you're going to be inclined to think. The Messiah is hanging on a cross. This has failed. That's what it's going to look like. Satan is one. But Jesus is actually doing his Father's will. Look at this word in verse 30. He has no claim on me, but I do what the Father has commanded me. So Jesus is saying, don't judge by appearances. It's going to look like Satan's winning. It's going to look like he's having his way. It's going to look like the cross means this whole thing is over. And the kingdom of God and that whole dream, you can just flush that. Life is without hope. Nope. I'm not doing Satan's bidding. I'm doing the Father's bidding. Even in the cross. Even in this heinous, horrible, tragic act of murder. I'm doing the Father's will. It looks like Satan is winning, but that's not the case. Here's the deal, folks. Sometimes life in a fallen world makes it look like Satan is having his way. 
It looks like Jesus is powerless to defeat evil. And the devil is winning the day. Maybe you felt like that this week. Maybe you've seen the news feeds and the bulletins all over Facebook and you turn on the TV and there's more unfolding details about how this situation has unfolded. And you think, man, evil is just winning the day. Where is Jesus? He must be powerless in the midst of this brokenness. But don't be fooled. God is always at work. Never thwarted. Persistently advancing His kingdom even in the face of apparently hopeless adversity. If God could take the cross the wrongful execution of Israel's Messiah, and turn it into redemption for His people. That's the ultimate flip-flop, right? That's the ultimate look like death and loss, and the whole thing is over. Actually, we just won. That's what we did. We just purchased redemption for people. If God can take the cross and turn it into redemption for His people, then He can take any mess, any darkness, any brokenness in your life and redeem it through the gospel. The good news of life in Jesus Christ and forgiveness of sins applies to anyone who will just come to Him in faith and confess and repent and trust in Jesus. And He can take any mess, and I mean any mess, and redeem it for the gospel. And if He can do that in our own lives, He can do that in our community. We look at the news, and we go, we say things like, this country's going to hell in a handbasket. Have you ever heard that phrase? My dad used to say that when I was growing up. I saw a bumper sticker years ago that said, where are we going? And why are we in this handbasket? So we go, we throw our hands up in the air, right? There's no hope. This is broken. This is a mess. This is beyond redemption. And God goes, no, it's not. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ and because of the resurrection from the dead, there's nothing that's beyond hope. There's nothing that's outside His ability to redeem through the gospel. So here's what we should be doing. Looking for gospel opportunities in light of this tragedy. We should put our eyes on Him in hope and then we should look for ways to speak of His kindness and grace in the gospel. And who knows what God might do in our neighborhood through Christians faithfully preaching the gospel and representing the heart of Jesus for people in the midst of tragedy and evil and brokenness. The world is under Satan's influence, it's true, but if you will look to the cross of Jesus, you can belong to Him instead. Jesus finishes with this outward look to the world. 
right? Remember, Judas had asked, how are you going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Well, now Jesus is going to turn his attention to the world. He says in verse 31, I do as the Father commanded me, which is what? Go to the cross and die for sinners, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Well, that sounds a little weird. Why does the world care if Jesus loves the Father? Well, the point is, Jesus loved the Father by going to the cross for them. Jesus went to the cross for sinners out of love for the Father. So how's the world, why should the world care that Jesus loved the Father? Because his death on the cross is the only way that their sins get covered. If they recognize him as the Savior. And they turn from their sin and they trust in Jesus Christ. And that is the invitation that is available to each one today. If you will repent of your sin and trust in Jesus Christ as the Savior who paid for your sins and rose from the dead, you will be saved. And God will take even this brokenness, this darkness, this tragedy, this sin in your life, in your family, in your neighborhood, and turn it for good. Just as Joseph said to his brothers back in Genesis chapter 50, you meant this for evil, but God intended it for good. God can turn anything around, and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, he gives us that opportunity to take our sin and brokenness and our mess to him and say, will you take this and make something of it? And when a sinner in humility and repentance comes to him, Jesus has already promised in John's gospel, him I will never cast out. Peace. Peace I leave with you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Let's pray.